to the Focus Series by Dental Head Start, where we focus into your favorite topics. During our time in dental school, most of us will only work in a setting treating patients within the public system. But the statistics show that about 90% of us will work in a private practice when we graduate. So do you know the differences between working in a public job versus a private job? Welcome back to the New Grad Focus Series. My name is Philip Nguyen and I'm a first year graduate and today we are joined by Dr. Bianca Lee and Dr. Steph Ibrahim, who are recent graduates and have had different journeys since they have both graduated. Both are based in Victoria, but Bianca moves straight into a private job, whereas Steph works rurally in a public setting. In this episode, we speak about the core differences of working in these different sectors and how they can change our growth pathways. We discuss topics like remuneration structures, work-life balance, opportunities to extend your scope, and much, much more. If you are a final year student or a new graduate listening to this episode, I hope you learn something new and perhaps it will open your eyes to working in a sector that you had not thought about much previously. So I started in 2020 during the pandemic, which was great. And I went straight to private, uh, worked at a clinic that was no gap checkup in Queens, and then moved on to another clinic nine months later that was out in Ringwood, where I did a lot of implants and learned a lot of implants there and a lot of Invisalign crowns and things like that. And then I eventually made my way to the city at St. Vincent's doing lots of general treatment. And now I'm at a cosmetic dental clinic in Mornington, which, yeah, which I'm just loving at the moment. Yeah, sounds awesome. And what about you, Steph? So my first job was quite unique. I was working in a country hospital, so in rural Victoria. So a lot of what we did was treat patients with special needs, people who were medically compromised. And it was quite a unique scenario in that we were an outpatient clinic based in hospitals. So we had a lot of referrals from other disciplines in the hospital. We also then had the lockdown happen. So when that occurred, I was called to work solo for about three or four months of that year where I was working on my own, treating all of that, the compromised patients um, in an emergency setting or under restrictions. And so that taught me a lot about dealing with problems quickly, being able to work around patients' disabilities dealing with difficult circumstances on my own and working as part of a bigger team as well because we had about nine surgeries. And during that time, we were called to traumas out in the nursing home or aged care. Then we had times where we had to do a mother's group, uh, teaching them about early childhood caries, how to care for their baby's teeth. So it was a very broad role and I was very fortunate that I was able to be able to deal with different walks of life in that setting. And it just helped increase my independence and confidence as a clinician coming back into the city. I now work as well at a private practice, but it's also group practice. Being able to work in a bigger team with a lot of different sort of people, it wouldn't have been the same if I hadn't had that first rural experience. It definitely pushed my limits and gave me that boost that I needed early on. So when you were um, sort of about to finish university, were you wanting to move into public dentistry or was it something that just sort of fell into place? So during the time I was tossing up between public and private, I always had an interest in working with compromised patients and I loved surgery and I wanted to continue that somehow, but I found that it's a bit difficult sometimes in a metro area to find that sort of opportunity. So one of my placements was actually at the hospital. So it gave me a kind of a eye-opening experience in a way that I was able to see how the group worked what was called for, um, what the task would be ahead. 
But having said that, even when I committed to that role, it was so much more broad and in-depth than what I could have ever imagined. So the interest was there, mm-hmm. but opportunity arose because I was lucky enough during my placements that we had a two-week placement there where we got to live in a rural mm-hmm. city and then, oh, sorry, rural town, and then being able to work there with the team kind of gave me first-hand mm-hmm. experience of what it would involve. But with COVID, even though it was an unfortunate situation, it was also a blessing in disguise because if it weren't for those conditions that we had to go through, I wouldn't have had to be pushed to those things so early on. And that's why I believe it's pushed me now to be the dentist I am at mm. the moment. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I guess we do get exposed to so many public clinics as a student. Um, and, and that's really all we sort of work in in the dental sector. But, Bianca, what was your perception of private practice when you were graduating? Uh, like, What made you want to sort of move into that area rather than moving into public dentistry as we were sort of working in uni? Well, throughout uni, I actually was a nurse or I was nursing at the on the weekends and during school holidays as well. So I kind of had that little bit of a taste of private practice as well. Um, I think I just really enjoyed the freedom, I guess, with private and being able to do more and not being restricted by certain rules and regulations that the government imposes on us. Um, I can completely understand where, you know, people would actually love to be in private and I think I would enjoy it as well. Um, I think the ideal thing that everyone wants to do after they graduate uni is to do half pu- half public, half private. But I think we all come to realise that it's actually quite difficult to get a job in both and to make them both work as well. So I've always mm. just found that being at one clinic has worked for me. Um, and so it just so happened that I landed in private. I was also someone that wants to do p- half public, half private. Um, and I think that's just so hard to find a public job that's part-time. They really only look for uh, full-time um, employees, which is, yeah, I guess one of the main things. I guess you've sort of worked in a range of private jobs now, but when you were um, in your sort of first six months out as a new graduate, what would your typical day look like in a private job? Well, the clinic that I worked at was um, really, really busy. We were a general checkup and clean, but no gap for checkups and fillings as well. So there was a lot of people who just needed things done and it was in a lower SES area than the like inner city suburbs. So it, the books were always full. There was always something to do. Mostly it was checkup and cleans. It was really quick, really fast paced sort of stuff. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Steph? What was your sort of first few months out like? So first week in, on my third day, that's when I treated my first pediatric patients under general anaesthetic. So because we're in a hospital practice, every few months we would have general anaesthetics for pediatric patients or patients with special needs. And then when we had our regular outpatient clinic, we're treating people who would come in sometimes on a wheelchair or ambulance bed, people who have travelled hundreds of kilometres across several towns who hadn't been for a long time. So we're not just dealing with one issue at a time, it's a lot of issues going on at the same time in the mouth. Other times, like I mentioned before, we were doing a mother's group where we had to educate people on how to take care of their children's teeth or having a call out to an isolated building or someone who's had a trauma or a fall who can't come to us. We would have a portable setup, so we'd set up on their bed or on their table. Uh, Could have even been in a lunchroom where the DNR would pack up our setup and have a mobile clinic in that way. And there were other times when we had students, like oral health students, where we were called to be a demonstrator or a supervisor for them as well. So it was very different. It was really interesting that we had a lot of different things going on at the same time. So 
no not each day was the same. Although we're still in a public setting, there was a broad range of roles that we had to carry on, especially in a rural setting too, because where there's you know few and far between. People will have to travel quite a bit to get access to care. So I think that's the beauty in a job like that is that every day is there's something new and exciting happening. Mm-hmm. And I guess like, I've heard that not all public clinics are the same as well. So like, when you were going into this job, um, having sort of the access to a GA facility, um, whereas some other public clinics might not have that same thing. So is it something that like, you sort of knew going into it and is it something that you should, do you think um, other people should research before um, you know, applying for a particular public job? Yeah, I think working under sedation is, you know, kind of another tool in your tool belt. It's definitely something that we use more and more in private practice nowadays. If it's not GA, sometimes it's nitrous, sometimes it's IV. So if you've got that opportunity to practice and be able to learn how to treat patients, you know, it's a very small mouth as it is in the chair, but then adding the sedation part of it also adds a bit of complexity. So you practice knowing how to screen patients, how to decide what is doable or not, how to work your treatments in that certain time frame and being able to process what instruments you need, all of those certain skills. If you've got that opportunity first year out or in the beginning of your career, it's definitely going to carry you for a long time, even in a private setting, because more and more patients you'll find as you work through them, a lot of them have been held back, not only financially, but also the fear. The fear is really real and that holds back a lot of people from coming in. So it's definitely something to look into, especially in a public setting when you're treating people with a lot of disease. It helps you to problem solve and figure out things, trying to work through a case and knowing that the public wait lists are going to be so long, you've got to make sure your work lasts and that you're doing the best for them and that it's not just looking at one problem in isolation, it's the whole mouth, like I mentioned before. Yeah. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. Bianca, you've had experience with sedation as well, is that right? Yeah, and so... There's also the opportunity for private dentists to be uh, working under sedation. But in your experience, is it something that you had to sort of seek out yourself? Or, you know, not every sort of private practice has the um, ability to have a, a sedation uh, procedure list. What, what's your sort of take on, on the ability for a private dentist to do that? I was actually very fortunate with the places that I Um, was employed at so the one that I went to where I got taught implants and things like that they actually had a hospital um, hospital room where the anaesthetist would come in every week and we'd have a GA list as well and we'd work um, we'd work with them and external dentists as well external dentists would come in and um, do or have their GA surgeries that day as well 
it was really great because I can relate to you, Steph, with the special needs patients. A lot, we saw a lot of special needs there as well and a lot of dentally anxious. And you find that a lot of people go in purely just because we are a GA clinic and we can put them to sleep. And yeah, even for the most simplest things, it can be a filling or it can even just be a clean. They really are that scared. And it's great to be able to provide that level of care for people who wouldn't be able to access it otherwise. But yeah, so at other clinics, it's also difficult to get general anaesthetic service as well. But I found that the places that I've worked at, especially if you are doing all on four implants and things like that, generally you are always in contact with someone who does general anaesthetic. So mm. I've had worked at three different clinics now where it's just a normal thing. But yeah, I guess on the topic of increasing your scope, my perception is that in public and private dentistry, you can, there's an opportunity to increase your, your scope but in several different areas. And so Bianca, I guess, what was your process or what was your journey in, in increasing your scope over the last few years? I guess it really just depends on the type of clinic that you actually choose to work in as well. There are some clinics where that are smaller and not as developed, I guess you could say. Most of those clinics would just be your general, you know, cause um, crowns, root canal, fillings and things like that. But as you go to a more established clinic, I would say, you find that more people have like a prime scanner, iTero, more instruments and more technology for you to use as well. So it really just depends on where you end up and the practice philosophy as well, where you go. I found that as I continued on with my journey, I ended up upskilling myself and then I was able to move on to a different clinic where I could provide my skills and also learn more as well. I just found that I can just continue to learn. And where I'm at now, which is Dental Boutique, I've learned the most here than I have at any other job. And what about you, Seth? Like, what was your path on, on increasing your scope in the public clinic? Um, for me, before I even graduated, I made myself some goals. So I knew there would be a, quite a few steps to reach that. So I think the main thing is if you've got a goal, if you've got an idea of where you want to end up, you can do the in-between work. Like Bianca said, each practice is going to be slightly different in its style, in the patients that it's marketed towards or the patients they attract. So you've got to keep that in mind that although you may have a goal or something you want to achieve, sometimes it's not always going to be achievable in that setting. So I think in a public setting, as much as I love the surgery side of things, I knew that ultimately if I want to place implants and restore them, I would only be able to do that in a private setting. So I think one thing that attracted me to be our public is that you get a lot of surgical exposure. So you definitely build a very strong foundation in building rapport with patients, patients who are anxious, but also being able to remove teeth and, you know, raise flaps, remove bone, that sort of thing. So I knew that was a kind of a stepping stone to me towards my pathway to implants. And then moving forward into the city, that's when we had a bit more um, leeway then in CPD and being able to connect with specialists, go visit labs, do courses online. So really, we're very lucky in the time that we are in now because as young dentists, we've got so much opportunity. And I think it's mainly of what you're interested in and how willing or how far you'll go to reach that. So in a public setting, it's definitely possible. But I think beyond that, like Bianca said, there are restrictions in what you can perform or what you can provide a patient. But if you are lucky enough to have both, you've got the best of both worlds. You can definitely have a balance and be able to provide that sort of care in a private setting too. Yeah. And I guess like because you are limited on things like crown and bridge work, were you doing CPD courses that were 
uh, you know, you're doing it as a way to sort of keep your skills up in those areas? Or um, did you think that the sort of work that you were able to do at, at, at the public clinic was sufficient enough to, to maintain those skills? During my time at that public practice, it was all throughout COVID lockdown. So on the flip side, the people who are in a metropolitan area all under lockdown, they were had to stay at home, whereas I was called to run a two-surgery practice on my own for three or four months. So although it was a public setting, I found that it actually pushed me to do more than what I would have had the time with COVID. But coming back into the city, I'm definitely got more leeway and more scope in my private role. I think in a public setting, it does depend on which one you're going for, whether it's a hospital setting or outpatient clinic, or if it's someone uh, somewhere connected to a university or a school, they're all different in their style. And Although we've got a criteria or a guideline of what we need to provide patients, it's also dependent upon the senior dentists as well. Some places they won't allow, you know, molar endos. Some will do more dentures than others. Some will give the patients a voucher to seek treatment in private if the list is too long. So it really does depend on the place. So I think if you're lucky enough to see the practice before you apply for the job or if you're able to have a placement there, you get a proper understanding of what it involves rather than signing up for it, thinking it may be one thing and then it not meeting expectations. Yeah, 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 wow, well, fair enough. I guess like one of the other questions that a lot of people ask or have been asking is what's the difference in, in, in pay, not only in like, the, the amount that you get, but the, the structure as well. Um, and so I guess, Steph, you, because you've worked in both public and private, um, not sort of going to specifics, obviously, but um, what's your sort of take on, on the general topic of, of pay? So usually in a public setting, it's based on levels, and that level is based on how well you can treat patients, the what sort of numbers you may be churning out, um, meaning what sort of codes are you putting in, how many you can see in a day. It's also dependent upon a, a six-monthly or yearly review. So if you're progressing well, you're able to progress up the level. And every three to four years or so, the EBA or the you know the government's um, guideline of pay does change. So I'm part of the ADA committee and we've been in negotiations for a long time. So this contract will always change. In terms of pay, it's usually an hourly rate. So you get paid once a fortnight, but that doesn't change depending on how many patients you see. It's more about your skills and showing that you're willing to put in you know, a bit more effort, being able to cope and work independently without mentorship. And then slowly as people progress into more leadership or management positions, whether that be at RDHM or in the rural setting, they will move up a level. The highest level is paid to specialists. So there is a limit as to how high a general dentist can go. And that's usually capped. So it's not really based on quantity of what you can do. It's more how well you can work. Whereas in a private setting, it definitely changes. If you're in a preferred provider practice or not, preferred provider meaning that if you've signed an agreement with a health fund, that health fund is going to dictate your fees. So even though you may be seeing a lot of patients, that fee will be low. So whereas if you were a private practice without the preferred provider scheme, you get to choose your own fees. So if the fees are higher and patients aren't attending as often, you may see fewer patients. So things change a little bit. Uh, in terms of the difference between public and private, I mean, it could be double, triple, up to seven times more in private compared to a public role, depending on what procedures you're performing and how many patients you're seeing. Do you want to add orthodontics to your general practice? 
So many patients today are looking for aesthetic outcomes and, and changes, things that we can do with things like aligners and fixed braces that can put the teeth where they need to be so we can be more minimal in what we do to those teeth. I know it's something I wanted to learn and personally I've gone down the path with OrthoEd doing the mini masters. I'm also getting treatment myself. I'm in aligners right now. If you're ready to go all in with orthodontics, you can go and do the mini masters with OrthoEd and Dr. Jeff Hall and at the end you can get a postgraduate diploma. But if you're starting off with smaller steps, they even have some online education including aligners and aligner courses that are standalone. In the COVID environment we're currently in, these courses have remained live and we can then go and do them in person later on. I really appreciate the way they've managed that and I'm still getting tons of value. OrthoEd gives you an understanding from the foundational level. You understand aligners as well as fixed braces, the mechanics and all the things in between. If you're about to start your orthodontic journey, check out dentalheadstart.com orthoed to get 10% off their entire range. You might even run into me at one of the courses. And um, being, I guess, because you've been on, a, you've been at a few clinics. What has your sort of experience of pay been like? Has it been fairly consistent across all the different private uh, practices, or have you noticed that you know as you started out, you started on something quite, um, uh, quite a lot lower, and then have progressed quite steadily throughout the last few years? Uh, it's actually been quite different with all of the different private practices. I think as you gain more skills as well. So at my first clinic, I was on salary um, and then eventually build up to percentage or a commission. Um, and even when I did start on commission, it was quite, it was on the lower end. And I think that's generally what new grad dentists have to go through these, these days. And especially knowing that I was in metropolitan Melbourne, it was quite difficult to get a full-time private job in that area and so you kind of have to deal with that or just be okay with that and then I went to a clinic the implant clinic and that was I was I stayed there for about 15 months and by the end of that I was billing quite a lot and because I had built up my patient base uh, we weren't a preferred provider and so it was quite good however when I moved again I went back to a place that didn't have full books. So that really, or like not in comparison to the one I was at, that kind of brought it down a little bit more. However, the fees were quite similar and it was a different pace as well. So it wasn't as fast paced. So it definitely does range at the different private clinics that you go to too, especially dependent on your skill level. But I think once you're about third year out, everything's pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And I guess the next part to go from here is like on the topic of work-life balance. And so I know in, in private clinics, I hear a lot of stories about dentists, you know, staying back and doing lab work or um, or you know, spending extra time at work to, to finish off some tasks. What's your experience like with work-life balance? And is it something that you think that, you know, if you did want to work a little bit less, that that's quite easy to sort of seek out? Yeah, so I do stay back quite a bit 
unfortunately, to do lab work and things like that. But it's because of the type of service and level of care that we provide at each clinic. You know, especially when you are when you are starting to do Invisalign or planning for implants or doing crown and bridge work, you will have to stay back and just make sure that all of that lab work is ready. It has been sent. If you have photos, you have to email them, um, and making sure your clin checks and yeah, clean checks are all done as well, making sure that if you need to email a patient a certain information too, there's just a lot more involved, I guess you could say. I'm not too sure how it is in public, but um, that has been my experience in private. Actually, I have been able to go to a lot of netball games, so it's not too bad. I definitely think I could cut back to four days, but I'm starting to have a lot more passion for dentistry as well. So I've decided to start working more instead. But I don't have any commitments at the moment. Like I don't have family to take care of. It's just um, I live with housemates. So there's no, I don't actually have to be at home for anything. That's why I am able to give more of my time to work at the moment. And I guess it's like work-life balance is different for each person. Like if you're like loving your job and if it's something that yeah you want to be doing a lot more of, then that's your balance. Whereas for someone else, it might be, you know, working three days or, you know, working four days. Yeah. What about you, Steph? And I know like in public clinics, you're sort of assigned hours and you do have to sort of work a certain amount to, to um, you know, to get paid. Um, but was there so much sort of, like, I guess, overtime or... Uh, I guess, the equivalent of doing lab work in the public setting? So in a public role, usually it's a Monday to Friday, nine to five sort of gig. But if you're in a rural setting, if you're traveling between multiple clinics under the same organization, there will be a bit of travel time. So when I was working in my rural hospital job, I was traveling between two different country towns, 40 kilometers between each other. So there was a bit of time in between. And there's a bit of preparation when you're doing the sedation. Um, you have to count instruments or make a list of what you require, go through the cases, make sure your plan is set, and then you've got everything packed and sterilized and then re-sterilized by the hospital. So there is a bit of time when you have to go through everything prior to actually going on the day to perform the procedure, and that's usually done a week in advance. There are other times when you're called to speak to specialists, so especially during COVID when patients couldn't travel or the only place they could travel to was RDHM. There were times we had to travel outside of the practice to get internet connection to be able to send things to specialists, um, the surgeons, if it was an emergency situation where patients couldn't cross the border or they couldn't see someone in private due to the funds. Private, similar to Bianca, there is a lot of admin stuff, things that go on behind the scenes to get to that final product. So there are times when you have to if you're seeing a patient with emergency swelling, you have to call a specialist, get the patient an appointment, write the appointment on their card, give the patient the card, maybe photocopy things or send patients information after the appointment. Or if English is not their first language, you need to be able to organise someone to help them understand the information prior to consent. Editing photos, uploading photos, uh, there's a lot definitely that goes on to get to that, you know, that after shot of the smile. There's definitely a lot of hours that are put in behind that. It's, it's it's so different at each place and you know, within public clinics and within private clinics it's going to vary so greatly as well so um yeah I guess I, something that we can advise people who are about to graduate is just to sort of do their research into that particular place that they wanted to work and seeing if that sort of um, lines up with their values and, and then their sort of expectations and that sort of thing um, but I guess just to finish off um, I just wanted to hear about 
um, you know, your most memorable experience. Um, so for, for Bianca, your most memorable private experience. And then the same for you, Seth, in, in the public setting. Um, so, yeah, what about, how about you start, um, Seth? For me, that lockdown, that major lockdown that we had in Melbourne, that's been one of the biggest highlights of my career so far. It's something I never thought I'd be able to do. Where before I graduated, I never pictured myself being in a setting that so early on having to work alone. And as I mentioned before, even though COVID was really rough time, that lockdown period, being able to treat emergencies on my own, especially with a really strong group of DAs, those were such amazing women that supported and uplifted me and they gave me the confidence to believe in myself and that stands out to me even till this day that's something I'll never forget and never be able to get over is even though we were such a small team we had such a huge impact that people you know for them it may have been a life or death situation having to travel across the state in such a difficult time that like cemented to me that this is really something that I want to do to be able to care for people and change their life was such a huge it's a huge responsibility such a huge honor and I'm I feel so blessed to have been able to go through that and I think for anyone considering public even if it's just one or two days even if it's just for a few months it's definitely going to change your perspective on how you treat patients because a lot of the time if people get caught up in the money side of things although it is you know it is nice it's not everything and I think you really need to have your heart in it as well because you're dealing with people you're dealing with people's emotions and fears and their stories so if you've got the power to make that change public is definitely going to inspire you and motivate you to do that because you're going to see so many challenging situations people have had it so rough and if you can be that hope for them and give them a chance to lead a better life then you should go for it even though it's hard it is so worth it in the end yeah, and that's such a nice message. Yeah, how about you, Bianca? What's your most memorable experience been? Kind of similar, but in a different sort of perspective to Seth's. Um, I think just being able to upskill in what I'm able to, my skills and assets that I'm able to provide for my patients. So a lot of people are really dentally anxious and being able to provide them the general anaesthetic services or um, give them the final smile that they love at at the end as well after doing Invisalign or being able to do a rehab with all of these implants and crown and bridge work and restoring their function, restoring the health of their teeth and also restoring their aesthetics as well and just feeling the gratitude from these patients after you have done a lot of treatment for them and, like, you know, rehabilitated their full mouth has been, you know, one of the best feelings ever and being able to see that patient again and, see them smile it's been great yeah well I think um I had my first um Invisalign case finished finish up yesterday and like it's just like it's such a nice feeling sort of getting taken for the attachments and then seeing your patient smile for the first time without it and see how happy they are it's um yeah it's a very unique experience it's something you don't sort of forget and it, I guess that's why a lot, of, a lot of people become dentists and stuff. They want to sort of improve people's smiles and change their lives. So overcome with emotion, they're like, they hug you, they cry, all those things, and then they tell people, like they tell all their family about, about it. It's just really beautiful how much we can really impact other people's lives. Yeah, yeah. And I think that goes, you know, both in public and private. Like no matter what, no matter where you work, you still have the opportunity to to have that great impact on people's lives. And so just sort of finding out what, what values you sort of um, hold up and, 
and your, your expectations of the job that you'd like. Uh, I guess that's the main reason why you, you, you would choose public or private. Uh, but you'd, you'd, be have, you'd have that job satisfaction either way. So, yeah. Um, I actually see quite a few patients, or I did see quite a few patients um, at a private clinic, but they, were, they came from public because public gave them like a voucher and things like that. So you can still see private patient. You can still be in a private setting and see public patients as well. Like it's not, mm. a, it's a pretty gray area. I think a lot of people now are getting those slips because the government, uh, the wait list is too long for um, to go to see the public clinics. Mm. Well, thank you so much um, to you both for joining me. I think it was a super insightful uh, episode and I think the people listening are going to um, learn a lot from this. Um, is there a way that people can, you know, get in contact with some questions if they had any or um, that sort of thing? Um, yeah, you guys can reach out to me if you'd like on Instagram. I'm definitely happy to have a chat to any new grads that need any advice um i can give a phone call or whatever um you can find me at bianca with double b b i a n c a l double e bianca lee awesome and how about you steph yeah likewise on instagram happy to answer any questions it's a dr sephib awesome (laughs) and we'll pop the um all the tags in the um in the uh, description as well so uh, if you want to just sort of reach out and 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 ask questions that's where you'll find them um but yeah awesome thank you so much thank you dr phillips thank you so much for listening to the dental head start podcast i genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.